welcome to the Grafted Family Podcast, where we, Tom and Dawn, have conversations around marriage, family, wholeness, and everything in between. Grab your cup of coffee and come and join us. Welcome back to part two of Parenting During Stressful Times. I know in part one we said we'll see you next week. What we meant to say was see you next, next, next week because we've had some stressful times. But we are very glad to be back with part two and some useful tips on how to, to handle the everyday things that crop up um, during stressful times. So love, how are you doing? As good as can be expected. How are your stressful times going? I think, the, I think they've lowered Yeah. a bit, yes. We've kind of slid into, they're about to increase again. Yes. We're about to go into a whole new, let's say, last half of the year as our kids start school again after no school for six months. Yeah, so we did 2020 lockdown. It was a moment of getting used to all the changes. Yeah. We got used to it-ish. Yeah. And now we're going to change it up again. Yes, this year has just been one moment after another of our routine being Changed. just thrown into the garbage. <laughs> but we're going to roll with it. So yeah. tonight we're going to chat a little bit around some of the, the useful and not so useful things that we've tried during stressful times and perhaps they will be of value to you. So I think we we have some not so helpful approaches and then we have some helpful approaches. Mm. So we're going to break it down a little bit like break that. So we're going to start with what we find is not helpful. I mean some of it is probably maybe to us it seems obvious but um, and the first one is let's try in stressful situations not to react yes. to our kids let's, to let's, their behavior yeah let's choose to respond and let's, let's let's be real this is not easy and it's unlearning a certain way of behavior changing mindsets uh, yeah. putting new tools in your tool belt but but yeah we, we often react we do and react is just knee jerk it's just guns out you know it's like bombing on our kids because we're stressed out because I've spent the whole day packing and now you're whining about something and the last thing I want to do is come down to your level and speak to you in a kind voice. I actually do just want to bomb on you because I'm annoyed. It makes me feel better. I get to press the pressure and resolve. It is. It, that's exactly yeah. what it's no. like. I'm, I'm releasing steam, but at what cost? Yeah, at the cost of relationship. And, and when your goal for parenting is connection, you've just lost that connection and you are not going to be able to do any decent parenting from a disconnected state. Mm. And um, and a practical thing is getting down to the eye level. Yeah. You know, when I'm looking down at a child, if I was to find somebody who was sort of comparably different in size to me and my kids, I need to find, say, a 10-foot person, stand underneath them and sort of poke them and get them to shout down at me. And then maybe then I'll get sort of an idea of maybe what the kids feel like. But the reality is when... When we're in those situations and we just we lose it, one of the best things we can do is actually sit down on the floor mm-hmm. below your kid's eye level and talk. Yeah. And that just that being below their eye level, it disarms them. It disarms their stress response. And it might just be the game changer in that moment. So reacting, not responding. What would reacting look like? Okay, I ask you, you're packing a box and um, can I please have that purple spoon that I've seen you pack right at the bottom of, of the box and you've just you've just taped it because it always happens that way. Yeah. You've just taped the box, you know, with your, your 20th layer of tape. 
I'm feeling my stress levels rise just listening yeah. to this. I mean that, so that's just happened. Can I please have my spoon? And yeah, where is it? And then sort of point to the bottom of the box. You're reacting with... Reacting for, in, for me in that situation, honestly, would just be to bomb. Would yeah. be, I would just have some sort of very snappy reaction to them. Well, I've just packed it in the box. So what yeah. You know, and... No, I'm not getting it for you. No, you know, you need like, to just deal with it. <laughs> there are children spoon. in countries without spoons. <laughs> now you get to explain. No, yeah. So I, I think my go-to is, is generally that snappy... It's not always even shouting. It's it's being it's your tone being yeah. just snappy with your kids. You know when you're feeling a bit yeah. highly stressed and yeah, our tone, our volume, and our cadence are so important. We can we can say completely different things. Yeah. When we are loud, quick, and um, and obviously our tone is a lot more perhaps shrill. But if we were calmer, mm. softer. And, um, now, being soft in that situation is not going to change the outcome. I'm not going to dig in the box. I'm not going to dig in the box. No. But we have said this before, but it might take me sitting on the floor with said child in my lap. I'm so sorry. It must be hard. Yeah. And I'm here's the kicker. You're, you're going to have this. to take an extra 10 minutes in your day. And mm-hmm. this is called investment parenting. Parenting is a very high interest game. You're either going to pay it now or you're going to pay it somewhere down the line. But the longer you wait, the more interest you pay. So if that child is sitting in your lap for 10 minutes, that means you're not going to pack for another 10 minutes. But while you are acknowledging and giving voice to their feelings and their frustration, yeah. and you're focusing on connection, it just might mean the world to them. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. definitely so is. So that's not so helpful approach, and responding obviously would be more helpful. Another one would be too much structure, being too rigid. Yeah. Now structure can be very good. Structure is very important in the ability to grow, but obviously too much structure and it will affect a child's ability to trust. So we look at structure and nurture. Nurture will help my child trust me um, and structure will help my child grow, but too much structure will affect the trust and too much nurture will affect the growth. Mm. So it's not necessarily all bad, but when we're talking about too much structure, it's talking about I'm too rigid, there's no space, there's no wiggle room here. Yeah, and especially in a, in a stressful time, I think certain personalities, I, I'm not, I don't do well with structure anyway. But now Tom's personality, I think, in a stressful time, he would want more structure. He would want to keep things the way they are, um, you know, no, this is what we do, and this is how the kids are, and this is how they have to behave, and this is how... And I'm not trying to throw you under the back. No, I feel, actually not. I, I feel calm and safe. <laughs> Even me just saying that. <laughs> um, but I think in stressful times, it's more helpful to our kids to not to let the structure go, to keep our routines, but to keep them flexible. Yeah. yeah. If we are still packing at 5 o'clock at night because I had one box that I was going to pack today and I'm still busy packing that box because of everything else that went wrong, we're not going to be eating. We're not going to be eating at 6 o'clock exactly or we're going to have to go out and get takeout or we're going to have to, you know, we're just going to have to be flexible. We maybe are going to have to throw a tablecloth over this box and eat on the box. Um, It's a new table. (laughs) But it's, you know, not being so rigid in our structures that... Our kids no longer feel safe because yeah. we're now 
losing the plot because we're not sticking to exactly the schedule and the time and the way that things usually run yeah, in our house. I think when, when you have those stressful times, yes, structure will, will bring in a sense of calm at times, but when we have stressful situations, practically the structure may not be possible. So if we try and force the structure in a stressful time that doesn't allow that structure to remain, all you're doing is going to increase anxiety and it's not going to be about getting through the stressful time, it's, a, it's going to be about holding on to a time that wasn't as stressful and everybody else who doesn't want to do that is now your enemy and it's just, it's just going, mm. to, it's going to spiral yeah. out of control. So, and I think what's also very important is, I mean, especially for me in those moments where you want to maintain structure. One of the greatest activities or, or things that, that we will encourage parents to do is to own your stuff. Mm. You know, when, when I'm wanting stuff to be structured and I'm wanting it to stay in the same and other people are not or other people can't or it's not possible, is that their issue or is that my issue? And if it's my issue, I need to have a look at that. Mm. I need to own my stuff in those moments. And so when something is not possible, demanding the same level of structure from a stressful time then a time that is not stressful mm. may be very unproductive and actually detrimental and hurt the connection with your kids. So we have to be able to, to roll with things a bit. And I think it's one of the greatest things now with pandemic, COVID and all the rest of it is many people are having to go, I can't do anything about this. Mm -hmm. And I can't find the comfort. I can't find the norm. My brain is trying to find patterns in this new way of life and it's struggling. It's like, you know, it's just... It's a hard drive that's trying yeah. to find that file. It's just not, I can't find it, you know, short-circuiting. And I think perhaps this time it's been good, if for nothing else, getting a little bit used to things not working out as perhaps you planned mm. and making peace with that yeah. and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. So not too much structure being too rigid. High expectations. Mm. Yeah, that was another one. I think having... Maybe even our expectations of ourselves too high in that time, mm. um, of being able to keep everything perfect, being able to keep the house clean, being able to get to everything that you usually get to. You know, I had, I, I generally, I, I wouldn't say I have high expectations of screen time, but I don't really, I don't love screen time. I'm not, mm. I, I still think, I think my kids play way too much, but in that time, I had to lower my expectations of screen time. Mm. I, I had to go, you know what, if this is how we're going to get through the next three weeks, I have to bring those expectations way down. Yeah. Um, I can't be... I think the biggest thing with screen time is the fight of getting them to turn off. It's that, um, that tension in that yeah. moment where your hour is up and, you know, I, and, and I don't have the energy right now to... To be constantly saying, okay, your hour is up, your hour is up, your hour is up, you know, are you going to turn it off or am I going to turn it off? You know, it's, that's way too high an expectation for me right now to meet. Yeah. And so it just had to, we just had to let it go. Yeah, and, and I think the reality is we're looking at stressful times. So we're not talking about, ugh, just let, you know, let your kids do whatever they want, whenever they want. This is stressful times. Yeah. And this is... When we talk about expectations, we want we want wins in stressful situations. Because yeah. when I win, I, I, I feel I feel that I'm conquering something, and it propels me forward. You know, um, and having a fight with your child because they're now 15 minutes over, that's not a win. 
It's yeah. going to kill connection in a stressful time. You don't need that. And perhaps we need to adjust the expectations of what we expect as parents yeah. and also adjust the expectations of how our children manage things during this stressful time. Mm-hmm. Now our kids can't be connecting with their friends typically. Yeah. So nowadays, if they're speaking to their friends over an online game, that's a level of connection that they didn't have before. That's a level of socializing that they didn't have before. And maybe an extra 10 minutes of chatting to their mate over something as trivial as the latest skin on Fortnite or you know, whatever yeah. you want to do, it might just set them up to feel calmer and also might give you a win as a parent saying, hey, 10 minutes and you can... You can come to an arrangement, you can come to an agreement where you win, they win, mm. and at the end of the day, you've retained connection. And then because you've retained connection, you can manage things going forward. And that's not to say that you can't have a conversation about it after the moment, but our expectations in stressful times need to be adjusted. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here are a few things that we have found helpful, just... I guess in the month leading up to the big move um, and in any situation mm. that you find yourself in that's less than desirable. Um, and the first one is chase the why. Hey, you love chase the why. I'm going to let you talk about chase the why. Cool. I love chase the why because I think we often see behavior as an event on its own, as something completely unconnected from from anything else. So we'll be having something that's happening in the day and we'll be going along, doing whatever we need to do, and then all of a sudden you will have this outburst. You'll have this behavior uh, that is oftentimes you feel unexplained or out of the ordinary, unwarranted, um, out of the blue. And, and I love the idea of chasing the why because our behaviors always connected to a reason we might disagree with the reason we might not like the reason we might not see the reason but we don't behave outside of reasons so when my child does something or behaves in a certain way I can either look at the behavior and and judge the behavior then and there or I can look back to what has happened before the behavior and I can ask the question why what has happened that has caused this behavior in this child at this particular point and addressing the behavior right now as a standalone thing is not always that helpful because we need to understand what got us to this point so that next time we can address certain things adjust certain things so that we don't get here again so the idea of chasing the why is to ask the question why all the time it's a very simple thing to say chase the why but always ask why why this behavior why now what has happened and not i think just to clarify not to ask your child why no yeah you know in the middle of a meltdown and you say to your child why is this happening they will Um, stop they will sit down put their hands on their lap and they will tell you they'll have a discussion (laughs) after which they will proceed with the the tantrum that they were having before. Yes. That's what happens in parenting, right? <laughs> Every time. Every time. No. When I say chase the why, I'm saying you as the parent, in your mind, ask yourself, why have we gotten to where we are right now? So why is it unhelpful 
to ask our children why in that moment. Why are you doing this? Why is that unhelpful? Well, I think practically when we're asking in that moment of heightened emotions, why are you having a tantrum? We're expecting a very logical answer, like we joked about before. They're going to sit down and yeah. explain it to you. You're going to have a discussion and a debate with the pros and cons, and you can write down a plan, a to-do steps for, for to do next time. <laughs> and, and all of those things require the use of parts of the brain that require a lot of executive uh, reasoning, the, the, the cognitive abilities that are going to allow your child to unpack those sort of things are definitely age-specific, but also specific to the mood they find themselves at. Uh, if they're calm and they're relaxed and they feel safe, we can engage those parts of the brain that allow us to think through things, to think about logical thought, to problem solve. But when I'm at a heightened state of emotion, I'm feeling anxious, I flip my lid, I literally don't have access to parts of my brain that will allow me to put into words what it is that has got me to this point. If you can think about it, you've had a stressful situation, somebody's, uh, something's happened in traffic, and you've perhaps had to brake really hard. Today there was a truck that came across the yeah, road and yeah. that, and he you know, didn't see my big car because obviously it's painted with invisible paint, um, and I had to brake, and the car sort of had a little bit of a, a slide. You know, in those moments, our bodies go into a stress reaction and different people's bodies handle it differently. And depending on where you've come from, you will handle things differently going forward. But if you find yourself in those situations, often once you're out of those situations, you kind of need to, to calm down, have a cup of tea, you know, something just to debrief and just bring the tone and temperature down. And when somebody comes in straight away and tell me about it, because of that heightened sense of stress, your body goes into a place where it literally stops certain parts working so that it can, it can go into almost a, a protection mode. Mm. So I don't need to have the ability to give a logical dissertation on what happened when that's happened. I need to get out of there. So your yeah. body primes itself to deal with the getting out there. So when you have the conversation with somebody, they, make, they don't often have the access to the parts of the brain that, that handle words and that's, that sort of thing. Obviously you can talk, but you know, that's... Yeah. We're talking about that sort of level. So when your kid's in that, in that space and they're completely dysregulated and they're very anxious and they are flipping their lid completely, they, A, might be very young and so don't have the words, yeah. but they also, B, might not have the words because they are so dysregulated, so anxious, um, and often disproportionately so, they often don't have the ability biologically to reach into their brain and pull out the words necessary to mm -hmm. unpack this discussion with you. Yeah. So... In those moments, asking the, word, asking the question, why are you having a meltdown to a five-year-old? A is not smart because they're five, but B, they may not physically have the ability to give you a proper answer. And if they don't give you an answer, now you're getting more mm. upset, more frustrated, they're yeah. going to spiral out of control and all sorts of stuff. And so just the practical steps of why are you having a meltdown, you're not going to get the answers that you're seeking. So let's talk about emotions quickly here because that's often one of the things that we struggle with the most um, when something has happened I often go into my logical brain and then I sit there looking at these big emotions of my child mm -hmm. because of something that's happened yeah and they really don't make sense they don't make sense no no let's talk about emotions quickly yeah so our next helpful tip is as hard as this may be and it kind of goes against let's say a lot of people who are raised Easy now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, more with this dismissive tendency, mm. then the, the helpful tip here is allow emotions. Yeah. 
allow your kids to feel. You're going through something stressful. It's stressful for you. It's stressful for them. Emotions are okay. I think often we don't allow the emotions, not because they're not okay, but because I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And the fact that it's because I'm feeling uncomfortable, that's about that chasing your own why and also scratching yes. the surface and dealing with your own stuff. Yes. And going, it's not really about them anymore. You've said stop being selfish so I can start. Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. Um, we, we let our kids cry a lot leading up to, I'm going to say a lot, but leading up to the move. We let them feel the sadness of leaving their childhood home. I mean, there's, there are still kids, so they will have a second half of their childhood yeah. home. Yeah. But it was sad for yeah. them. And they spoke about it and they cried about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of parenting and actually dealing with kids in general is about coaching them in how, how do you respond to certain events and situations that, that occur? And one of the things we're really not good at as adults is grieving. No. We kind of just get over it, put on your big boy pants, and actually we need to be taught to grieve moments that may even seem a bit small. That's what I was going to say. We think grieving is for big losses. Yeah, when somebody dies, Yeah. when Fortnite stops working on the Apple Store, I hope Apple hears this. <laughs> You've caused so much issues in our home today. You actually need to get around the table and just, you know, apologize and, and become friends again. Uh, no. Yeah, but we do. We, we think grieving is fine for, for certain situations. Yeah. But as soon as our kids start to cry because of a Fortnite game or because they're leaving their bedroom that they love or... You know, whatever whatever situations come up in our in our home, we are uncomfortable with that. So why do you think this is so important? Well, again, I think so much of parenting and dealing with kids is about coaching and helping them work through certain things and become used to certain things. And knowing that feelings and working through big feelings is completely normal. I think we live oftentimes in a world and in spaces where we just have to fix everything. Yeah. Feelings are bad. Grieving's not useful. So let's just put a plaster on it. Or maybe not even get put a plaster on it. Let's forget it's there. Forget and it's there. And just keep yeah. moseying on. Maybe we'll put a t-shirt over it or maybe just look the other way. It's not there. If I can't see it, it's not there. If I don't focus on it, it's not there. And I think that's a problem because we start to believe this story that feelings are not perhaps real, feelings are not perhaps good, feelings perhaps don't lead you in certain directions. We often say that pain tells you, you know, that you mm. have a pain because it's indicating something's wrong. Feelings can often indicate that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Not for you to dwell on those feelings, but they do indicate that perhaps something needs to be worked on, mm. something's out of sorts. Yeah. So they are an indication. And instead of wanting to solve everything and forget that things are there, perhaps we also need to help our little people to become comfortable with being uncomfortable and perhaps we need to allow them space to sit in the mm -hmm. mess, sit in those big emotions, not to live in those big emotions, but to sit in them, to feel them. And so as they get older and they develop coping mechanisms to deal with things more and more, having those big emotions won't take them off guard. They will yeah. know that big emotions are real, grieving is real and important. I can sit in them, I can unpack them a little bit, and then I can move on from them. Mm -hmm. But ignore them completely, to say that they're not allowed, to say that anything uncomfortable is not good for you. That's, You're just being silly. Yes, it's silly. Don't cry. 
um, that's not helpful. That's yeah. not growing. It's not coaching. Those things are real. So we need to help them grapple with the real things in their lives, not teach them that they should be ashamed of or they should ignore those things. Yeah. Um, so would you say helping them process the things that seem silly now is setting them up later on to process more serious situations? Yeah. I think we don't have to wait until granny passes away to engage with big feelings. Mm. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of wins we can have as parents with our kids and we can get a lot of uh, mileage out of small events to sort of coach them and train them in certain things. You don't have to wait until game day to learn the sport. You have mm. practices. So, yeah. you know, when your child is... good, babe. I know, I try. I wrote it. I read it in a book somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's, life is about practices. So if there's something to grieve... It may not be a massive grief in terms of maybe uh, the loss of a loved one or something like that, but getting them used to the, this feeling of this is grief. This is what grief feels like. This is what grief feels like in my body. Mm. So I can understand that next time I feel it, this is what it is. I can put a word to grief, not just I kind of feel funny, but I feel grief. This is where I feel it. I have sort of muscle memory, body memory, and a lot of um, trauma and resilience training will look at that and say, this is how you're feeling, where are you feeling it, how are, you, how are we dealing with it now, and so the next time that it happens, you're reminded of how you did it before, and you employ the same tactics. So it might be, again, silly example for us, but big for, the, for other people, maybe the fortnight thing. It's a very emotional thing, very frustrating thing. Kids have been looking forward to something for the entire day. They yeah. sit down, their expectation is smashed. Yeah. You know, in that moment, we can fob it off and tell them to stop being selfish, Stop being childish, even though they are children. Um, that's an interesting one. Don't be like a child, child. Uh, but in that moment, allowing them to feel, allowing them to feel those feelings, but then trying to coach them out of it so that next time when there's a similar situation or perhaps an even bigger situation, they've got the tools to perhaps get through that bigger situation because they learned in a smaller situation. Mm, yeah. Okay. Another one is giving grace to yourself. You want to talk about that, Lev? Yes, I think it also tied in a bit with lowering expectations. Mm. But I think just loads of grace for yourself. I actually got a wonderful message from someone in the middle of us moving, and she just reminded me, you know, I was kind of just in that freaking out place. Like, you know, it was I was feeling sad about the move. I had all these feelings, the same feelings the kids had. And then trying to deal with everything else. And um, I sent her a note and I just kind of was like, I feel like, you know, failing at everything. Um, and she just reminded me, in this season especially, we just need so much grace for ourselves. Mm. We just need to say it's okay. Yeah. Tell, my, tell yourself it's okay. It's okay that you're letting things slide. It's okay that whatever's happening is happening. I think it's a, it is, it's a hard thing to practically do. Um, as adults, yeah. to actually tell ourselves that it's okay. Yeah, and I, I think one of the lessons that, that many people, I feel, have taken, and hopefully more have taken from this lockdown period, is this getting used to not being able to solve this. Yes. And today was not a great day, let's try again tomorrow. And we need to get yeah. that message. Yeah. We're not perfect, no matter how much we want to think we are. And some days we are going to come woefully short yeah and also when we're parenting our kids are watching us 
So if we're setting ourselves up to succeed every single time, they're going to take the message that I need to succeed every single time. But if we take the message that I'm going to try and succeed, but if I fail, tomorrow I'll get up. Mm. And um, they'll take that message too. And this idea of don't make the falling down be the end of the story. Make it, and then he got up, or then she got up. Mm. And I have to say, this that one maybe it's a bit of a one-liner but it has become quite a thing in our house and and even our kids sometimes will get to the end of the day and they'll just go mom and dad this hasn't been a good day but we're going to get up and try again tomorrow and I I think for me it's huge because I've probably only really learned now in my adult life that it's okay to have bad days yeah I think I believed in the fairy tale of life that everything had to be joyous and amazing and wonderful every single day. And if you weren't 100% happy with your life all the time... Something's wrong. You were doing something wrong. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's just so good to hear our kids going, you know what, today was bad, but we're going to get up and try again tomorrow. I think that that's kind of the outlook on life yeah. that we want, to know that there are mountains and valleys. Yeah. And that's part of life. No, 100%. Yeah. And I think the, the last one that we're going to touch on tonight is very simple, but say sorry. Say sorry. Sorry is one of those words that, when used properly, can just restore connection so massively. It can heal. It can repair anything. Um, and not from, I'm sorry, mom, I'm sorry, dad. I think they're more sorries towards our kids mm. than they are towards us. Yeah. We say sorry a lot in we our do. house. I say sorry the most. Yes, he does. <laughs> you can and take that one of two ways. <laughs> I was about to add, and not because he's wrong more, but because he is better at saying sorry. But it's, it's a great thing to get, to get good at. So they can see that, hey, saying sorry is not a acceptance of defeat or yeah. an acknowledgement that you are wrong. Saying sorry is a part of life. Yeah. And I'm willing to say sorry to restore a relationship, yes. even if it means that I was not the cause of the hurt in that relationship. Yeah, and I think also to parents who feel that, you know, well, my kid is just, you have no idea what my kid's just done, and, and they deserved me... They need to suffer. You know, bombing on them or... No, no they must suffer the... Con- they must feel the pain. I know. When, when <laughs> we say sorry for our part of what's happened in an interaction with our child, it doesn't make what they did okay. We are taking responsibility for us. Yeah. So it's never okay to say, well, I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry, but. That's Did not, you yeah, hear the way that you apology. spoke to me? That's, that's not a real apology. I'm saying, I am so sorry for getting so angry at you. You did not deserve that. You didn't deserve me shouting at you. Um, you didn't deserve the words that I said. It's got nothing to do with them. They still need to take responsibility yeah. for their part of what they've done. We have to clean up our messes. That's the thing, yeah. Yeah, we have to take responsibility for our part in the relationship because of two parts. Yeah. I think what I've also found, the, the great thing about modeling sorry mm. for your kids is I have often heard, without me prompting them, without me saying, you better go and say sorry to your sibling, especially with our older two, because I think they're getting a bit older and they're also getting to that where they're understanding what hurtful words are to each other. And I'll often hear them around the corner yeah. saying, I'm so sorry I said that. Or, you know, and it just it just makes your heart go, oh, 
it's more sincere. When, it's just so sincere. When your kids say, I'm sorry because they've seen it modeled in relationship rather than they're saying sorry because you're standing over them with like a sickle saying you better or else. Yeah. That's not a real sorry. No. And there are still times when we do that, let's be honest. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, it does happen still and they're not perfect and we're not perfect. But that one tip I would say is probably one of the most helpful mm. things that you can use in your home. Absolutely. It's a such a connection restorer. Absolutely. So we're going to leave it there and we just really hope that part one and two of parenting in stressful times have, have been of value to you and we just really hope and pray that we all don't have too many stressful times but that if we do, we can learn and grow in connection through those times. Yeah. yeah. Cheers for now.